I'm Bob Sullivan, the new host of AARP's The Perfect Scam Podcast. And with Frank Abagnale and other top fraud experts, we're bringing you brand new episodes of America's most shocking scam stories. I got an email alerting me to 22 accounts that had been opened up in my name. Scam was masterfully designed. New episodes available now. Subscribe to The Perfect Scam Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Bob Sullivan, the new host of AARP's The Perfect Scam Podcast. And with Frank Abagnale and other top fraud experts, we're bringing you brand new episodes of America's most shocking scam stories. I got an email alerting me to 22 accounts that had been opened up in my name. Scam was masterfully designed. New episodes available now. Subscribe to The Perfect Scam Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to Preach Care Preach with Rashad. We are the prophets. Here's another episode, another sermon coming at y'all from pretty much anywhere iTunes, Google Podcasts, uh, iHeartRadio, Spotify, anywhere else you get your podcast listening on. Uh, what's going on, man? Uh, not much, man. Just uh, enjoying quarantine, man. <laughs> Definitely. Uh, it's it been a pretty pretty slow week, um, but we, we did an interview last week. Uh, with uh, the assistant coach from the Denver Nuggets, uh, John Beckett III, he goes by JB. Uh, it was a hey, it was a good, good, interesting uh, convo. Uh, we we also brought up uh, at the time the GM of the Denver Nuggets, and now you know he he's been moved up. He got he got became the uh, vice president of basketball operations for the Bulls. Uh, Artis Karnasavas, I can't really say it, but from Lithuania, um, he got the job. Any any uh, light you want to shed on that? No, it was just time for that Bulls era to to move forward. You know, uh, the guard packs era was, I think, 20-plus years, about 22 years. So it was time for a change. And, you know, what, what Denver's been doing the last couple of years, you know, with Masai uh, there, the GM that just took the Bulls job. So, you know, the last couple of years, Denver's been one of the uh, preeminent and stellar organizations. So great acquisition by the Bulls, and uh, it was – you could say well overdue, honestly. Right. Yeah. So, and in the interview later on, we really couldn't get into too much detail on players because you know tampering and all that other stuff. Um, is there is there something that you wanted to ask as far as like, like from the Nugget standpoint that we didn't get to ask? No, everything I want to know is mainly about you know about him. Uh, you know, stylistically, what does he prefer? Eye test, analytics. Do you prefer? You know, do you have a, a future coaching style for yourself? Things like that. I didn't really care about, you know, asking about other players. I was I was more, you know, intrigued by asking about about him, his background, and what's his plans going forward. You know, some something I, I thought about after um, the you know, Denver Nuggets is really known for the great home crowd, like the, one of the best atmospheres in the NBA. Um, a team that if you go if you're going on the road at Denver, you're probably coming away with a loss. Um, it was actually kind of surprising that Portland Trailblazers last year in the playoffs 
was able to get two wins in that series. Um, but I think they, I think they won in this in the regular season as well in Denver. So it's kind of like maybe they had their number, but um, it, it's kind of like man, when you play in Denver, obviously you got the Maha uh, Maha thing going on. I know I had the sickle cell trait, so I I don't think I could play in Denver. I know Ryan Clark uh, from the Steelers back in the day, he couldn't play in the playoff game against against the Broncos that hurt them. I think that was then that was the same game when Tebow did the uh, overtime win. But uh, I was kind of like I wanted to know like that atmosphere. Uh, as far as does it have does it really had the distinct um, you know advantage uh, for opponents coming in from you know California Atlanta New York whatever it is. Oh yeah, the elevation for sure. Um, but I, I think every team has a home court advantage if you create it by winning and building your fan base. Like uh, Denver is known for the elevation, so teams go up there. You you know you try to play fast, you'll you'll end up gassing out. Uh, but look at like the Warriors in Oakland, Rockin' Arena. Everybody, even though they're not a good team, it's just the the atmosphere of the Garden. So people love going to play there. Um, you got locations like Miami, uh, L.A. You know places where even Atlanta, where guys are known to go out. Houston guys are known to go out and party a little bit more, just because of the nightlife, afterlife, uh, restaurant choices, things like that. So I think every team has a home court advantage if it's created organically through winning, loyal fan base. Uh, you know, you got a team you really get behind, like the We Believe Warriors or the years when LeBron was in Cleveland that first go around that first seven years. There were some some rocking arenas up there in Cleveland. So I think it's all about what you create organically through your your players, your your winning winning culture, sustained winning, things like that. All right. Uh, do you think Denver Nuggets is the top five um, like hardest place to play. Would you put that in the top five? Yeah, for sure. Just that, that goes for any sport. That's baseball, football, basketball. Denver is known around all <laughs> all sports as a a place you don't want to go play it. Yeah, and yeah. not 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 just during like seasons. Like you know, some place you don't want to go play in the wintertime. It don't matter what the season is. You don't want to play in Denver. Yeah, and oh. that's not because it's a it's a bad you know bad place. It's just it's. That the atmosphere of it all, it it, it just it, it takes the air out of certain certain guys. So um, Denver is definitely one of the top five places, toughest places to play across all sports. How about say elevation? Plus, if you play in the wintertime, like f- football, oh gosh, that's just that's just crazy. Um, but without further ado, we can get around right to our interview with John Beckett, JB. And thank you again to, to JB for joining us. Um, you know, even though we're in quarantine, he's. He's spending time with his family, so we appreciate him taking the time to come on and uh, join our platform, share some insight on, like I said, his background, his future plans, um, as much as he could about the Denver organization. So we appreciate him doing that. Oh, yeah, no doubt. All right, we're here with assistant coach from the Denver Nuggets, John Beckett. Uh, you go by the third or you should go by just John Beckett in the NBA world? No, NBA world, everyone just calls me JB. Okay, so all right, we'll, we'll, we'll worry about that. So JB is joining us, assistant uh, coach from the Denver Nuggets. I think this is our fifth year there, if I'm not mistaken. Um, so first, I, I want to ask, like, you know, how, how's the family doing? Six season, okay, six season, six season, six season with the Nuggets. Um, I guess first off, how is the family doing doing all this? You know, COVID nineteen situation. How how's adjusting to 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 life at home? I guess being self quarantine and stuff. Oh, uh, family, everybody's good. You know. Um, you know, it's a crazy time in the world, but 
you know, it's it's actually a blessing for us as well. Um, we don't really get a chance to spend uh, this amount of time that we have being home, so, um, especially for me having a, a newborn son there uh, with my and also my fiance around. So it's giving us an opportunity to congrats a lot of appreciate, man. Thank you, thank you. Yeah. So we've had an opportunity to spend a lot of time around each other. Uh, my fiance has me doing a ton of. Uh, home improvement projects <laughs> and, um, and I got a lot of time to spend with my son and trying to get him right now we're trying to do a little sleep training trying to get him to learn how to sleep <laughs> definitely I understand that are y'all doing anything fun are y'all Netflixing watching you know streaming shows movies I, mean, I, think, I, I think we're doing more games yeah I, I think we're doing what everyone's doing you know we, we're on Netflix we're watching movies uh, we go on a ton of walks uh, I feel like we walk anywhere from four to six miles a day um, that's basically the only thing that you can really do outside. Um, but yeah, we've been, we've been doing a lot of that. Right. Um, can't really watch Netflix. Um, I did binge, um, Netflix show Ozark, uh, season two. Okay. Did that hey, I, I did too. Yeah. yeah I, I, I had a really, really great night when, uh, when, when Little Man was, was asleep. But other than that, <laughs> it's just been, um, just been cool spending time with the family and then, um, our head coach, he's given us projects to do during the downtime also. So um, been doing a little projects here and there whenever um, I get some time away, away from the family. Definitely. Um, but before we get into, like, you know, uh, the questions that we have for you, uh, can, can you kind of explain uh, the, the, the JB story from, from, you know, from, like, high school and, and right, before, right before you got into the situation that you're in now? Uh, so the story of uh, my background, basically how, how I got to where I got. Or like just just like the like the rise, you know, from from like high school, uh, you know, playing college ball all the way to all the way like right before like your ATL days. Oh man, that's a long story. I'm, I'll try to condense it. <laughs> that's fine. Uh, play ball high school at uh, Sandy Creek High School. It's in Tyrone, Georgia. Probably like 20, 25 minutes south of Atlanta, uh, a little bit past the airport. Um, play there. Um, from there, I went and got a scholarship over to Georgia State University. Um, played there for one year, my freshman season. Long story, but, you know, it just didn't work out. Um, a lot of it was probably on my part. Wasn't, you know, mature enough to handle um, not playing as much as I, as I would like to play. Uh, and end up transferring and finishing up at a Division II school in St. Petersburg, Florida, called Ecker College. Um, my last two years or three or two years finished there. And then um, after I got through, um, like most kids who play college ball, you know, I wanted to play pro ball. Um, ended up going to Germany uh, briefly. Um, a good, good friend of mine who was a teammate, uh, me and him always made a pact. We said, you know, if one of us get overseas first, you know, we would help the other get over there. Uh, he ended up getting a job over in Germany first. Um, talked to the team, talked to the president. Uh, and and it, he ended up getting me over there. I got over there, and it wasn't what I thought it was going to be. Culture uh, shock. Yeah, culture shock. And, you know, it, it wasn't like a high-level, high, high level, yeah. you know, EuroLeague team. It was like a um, uh, – I don't know what, what the exact term is. I think a Division Four team over there. So it, it, it was low level. I mean, I was playing against sometimes 14, 15-year-olds in there, which, you know, I guess typical for, uh, for European basketball. It's like a Lamelo Ball thing. He playing against grown men. Yeah, yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. Um, so it, it was a cool experience, but you know, it was something that you know, it, it just wasn't for me. I don't think so. I came back, you know, still love balls, playing every day, pick up and working out. 
didn't know what I was going to do. Um, so during that time um, at Eckerd, uh, the head coach there, he introduced me to um, a former player that worked for Turner, Turner Studios. So he got me a job there freelancing. So um, I was cutting highlights at then CNN SI and then also um, for TNT inside the NBA. And um, I just started meeting people, started networking. And um, the gym that I worked out at, um, a good friend of mine at the time, uh, he had a friend that worked with the Hawks. Uh, he thought it was a good idea for me to go talk to him. Me and him talked, and from there, that's just where, where it went. Gotcha. What's about college, man? Uh, what made you major in business management? Honestly, you know, you know, at that time, like, like, like most young men playing ball, you had aspirations to play in the NBA. I just put it, you know, I was just majoring in something just to major in something. I <laughs> my, my, my <laughs> was, to get, was, was to get to the NBA, and you know, I go back. I, you know, I should have handled it differently and really thought about what I, what, what I wanted to major in. You know, if I can go back now and, and change my major, it would probably be something in exercise science, uh, just because you know I like the training aspect. I like to, you know, work out and. You know, I would have loved to maybe have done like a strength and conditioning coach or something like that. For okay. Me. But everything worked out how how it was supposed to work out, and you know, I'm blessed to be where I'm at right now. Right. Um. So you gonna say that? So that means that means you you was born in Georgia. I know. Uh, so was I. Well, all three of us actually. So, um, is uh is uh safe to say that you was a Hawks fan growing up? You know, or you know when you was there, or or how that went. No. The thing is, I wasn't uh, born in Georgia. I was born in uh, New York, Flushing, New York. Okay. Um, both of my parents, once they got married, they moved to New York. My dad worked for uh, Pan Am, who's an airline that's, that no longer exists. Yeah. Um, so my dad worked at Pan Am, and then I moved down to Georgia my, uh, my, my ninth grade year. I started my ninth grade year. Um, my dad worked for Pan Am. They went under. He got transferred to Delta, and then obviously, you know, most people who are from the South, or specifically from Atlanta and, and Georgia, you know that, you know, the hub, a huge hub for Delta is in Atlanta. So he yeah. ended up getting transferred down there, so that's how I ended up uh, in Atlanta. I was like, you know, I got that. I got that Scott Miles card in my uh, credit card in my ball right now. <laughs> oh, yeah, Delta's Delta running all down here in the South, the Hartfield Jackson. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, but uh, but, but growing up, no, I was a huge uh, Bulls fan, uh, huge Michael Jordan fan. Huge oh yeah, because you, you grew up during the nineties, so you got to see that yeah. whole entire run of MJ. Exactly, exactly, and uh, especially when I when I began to really like watch basketball and love basketball, which was um, right around my seventh grade years when I started playing and watching. You know, that's when Mike. You know, I think they were winning their first championship against the Lakers. So, I mean, that just tells you how old I am. But um, <laughs> that's when I fell in love with the game. And it was tough because being in New York, that was the time when the Knicks were really good. You know, the Patrick Ewing, the John Starks, Charles Oakley era. So, you know, um, it was always tough going to school because everyone was, was a Knicks fan. But, you know, I was just always, you know, you know, a Michael Jordan fan like most kids during that time. Yeah, I just about to ask, but you being born in New York, were you a Knicks or Bulls fan? But you got to answer, like, you were, you were an MJ guy, you were a Bulls fan. Yeah, I was a Bulls fan. Now, now don't get me wrong, I loved, I loved the Knicks, you know. Um, during that time, you know, my parents, we didn't have cable. You know, they, they, they were strict and stuff. So, um, luckily, we had neighbors that were across the street. I always remember, remember them, the Atkinsons. Um, they always invited me over anytime I wanted to to go watch, you know, the Knicks game that was on, you know, the MSG Network. 
So I always used to watch the Knicks all the time. So I always rooted for them. Um, and the funny thing is, even before I knew we were moving to Atlanta, I watched Atlanta a ton because during that time, um, the Hawks and the Braves, they were on TBS. So they were always on, like, national TV all the time. So I, I would always see the Braves and the Hawks game. So, you know, I was always, you know, watching Dominique and Luke Blaylock and Stacey Augman and those guys like that. So, you know, I basically grew up a Knicks, Hawks, and uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they were, they were just always on TV all the time. So I just always watched them. So would you uh, growing up in that? Go ahead, Kev. There you go. There you go. Yeah, you got. Oh yeah. Would you growing up in like you know, like you said, south of Atlanta and going to Sandy Creek? Like I know the school wasn't in existence that long before you, you know, kind of went there. So what do you? How do you feel about you know being one of those early people to? kind of put them on the map basketball-wise because they've been a powerhouse over the last decade or so. Yeah, it's funny, you know, looking at them now, you know, through the years and seeing them winning state championships in football. I mean, they had a, a great run in football. They've had a lot of great players come uh, through there. Yeah. Uh, um, and then basketball, you know, they seem to always make the state tournament now and going pretty far. And I think this past year, they, they final four. Final four and, they got one of the top juniors in, in, in the state right now from what I see. But, yeah, when, when I first started, it was a totally different school. Um, obviously, it was young. Um, when I got there, the first senior class was graduating during that, during that time. So <laughs> that was the first senior class that was graduating then. And, um, obviously, there wasn't no history. There wasn't no culture. Um, so, so when we got there, everything was brand new. And, it was great. You know, we had a, you know, a really good group of guys that, you know, worked hard and, and were really, you know, passionate about basketball. And, um, you know, we, we had a really good run, especially my senior year. Um, we made it to the Elite Eight, um, lost to the eventual uh, state champions during, during that time. And um, I think we finished number nine, you know, at, during the final poll, I, I believe. And uh, it, it was a fun ride. You know, it was, you know we had guys who um, – probably the best athlete we had in the school, Barry Holloway. Uh, he went on to um, play football at Notre Dame, ended up getting drafted by the Patriots. And he went to okay. on with uh, Tom Brady. Then um, he finished up his career in Houston. Uh, we had other guys that went on to have great college careers with basketball, uh, a couple in baseball. So, you know, it, it was fun, you know, getting that culture started. And then a lot of guys that came after us, they just continued and took it to a whole other level. So yeah, the time the time with the Hawks and you know I know you say your video coordinator and stuff like that. Um, what would you say was like the best thing about about doing all that during that time as far as like developing your skills? Uh, when you talk about like starting starting to the, the play development role, but also like, how did how did that come about in, in, in as far as your grind to to get where you were? Um, I mean it had to happen like Atlanta like that was you know, crucial in my development as in my career and, and just being a coach, um, you know, in, in Atlanta, it's funny how, how I started, you know, um, going back to the story, you know, talking about, you know, my past, once I got, you know, to the Hawks, um, I started out as, as, as a sales rep selling season tickets. Um, so that's what I was doing. I was cold calling, you know, people who previously, you might have bought one ticket and we got your information. I'm calling you, trying to sell you on a, Full, full season, half season of Chick-fil-A family night. I'm, I'm sending out <laughs> Yeah, so, you know, 
I'm doing all that stuff, and you know, I'm in the cubicle all day. I'm wearing slacks, you know, button-up shirts. You know, it just, you know, it didn't feel right. It wasn't a passion of mine. So um, during that time, anytime like the Hawks would go on the road, um, the practice squad at that time, this is when um, the Hawks were owned by uh, Turner Broadcasting, which is in the CNN Center. So, um, and then, you know, as you guys know, at that time, um, Phillips Arena is right, connected right next to it. So yep. we, would have, we would have access to the practice court. So employees would go down there and, um, and play ball, you know, after work. So when I got there, um, I found the, the video coordinator at the time. His name was Luke Steele. Um, I didn't know what a video coordinator was. I had, had no idea. Um, me and him just happened to have a little conversation. And, you know, basically talking to him, you know, video coordinator is basically like an entry-level position for guys who never played in the NBA. Um, so I was curious and wanted to learn more about it. So, you know, I, I started talking to him more, and um, I t- told him, I said, look, you know, between my responsibilities during the Hawks game, it's all right if I come down to your office and just, you know, watch and observe and, and see what you're doing. He was cool about it. So um, anytime we, the Hawks had a game and I didn't have uh, responsibilities with season ticket holders, I would go down to the office and just watch and see what he does. And, um, you know, I, I became interested in it. So uh, I started being more, more aggressive in terms of, you know, getting to know people on the basketball side of things, like the general manager, the assistant general manager, the, the secretary. This guy, I didn't care who it was. If you were in basketball operations, I was trying to get to know you. Um, make a long story short, um, you know, a position opened as his assistant. Um, and I guess, you know, they might have got tired of me bugging him. And, <laughs> and um, that's kind of where, where it all started there in Atlanta. And then from there, once I got in, you know, it was a great opportunity for me to learn. Um, you know, I played high school ball, played you know, college ball, played, you know, as I told you, in Germany briefly. So, you know, I thought I had a good grasp and understanding of, of the game, and I really didn't. I remember, like, my first year, it was just like, wow. It was like, you know, the terminology they used, the, the amount of detail that goes into, you know, every game in terms of, like, the scouting report and the personnel. Like, I never knew it, it, was, it was so in-depth. Um, so it was great for me to get in there. It was great for me to, to learn all of that. It was great for me to learn, you know, how to do all the video stuff, um, just to be around players. Or I get on the court and, you know, I would help the coaches out, whether it be just rebounding. I'd try to be the best rebounder out there. Or be just, you know, while they're working out, playing token defense on them just to, you know, make the drills a little bit, you know, more competitive, make them go a little bit harder. And um, it was, you know, very important for me because during that time with Atlanta, that's where, you know, I grew and that's where I, I learned it from. Uh, life skill-wise, man, what kept you motivated during that time to, to find your passion? Kind of, you said, you know, you were, you went to Florida, you came back home, you know, you were kind of selling season tickets. You didn't really have, like, your your true passion to find. So how did you stay motivated during that time? Um, Honestly, I don't know. You know, it was basically just, trying to figure it out, just trying to, like, throw stuff against the wall and see what sticks. Um, I knew that it, I, I wanted to stay in basketball. Um, I had no idea that coaching would be the thing that, you know, I, I would really be passionate about. Uh, the thing about Atlanta, which was great, um, uh, the, the front office, whether it be when it was Billy Knight and Chris Grant there or uh, Rick's son and Dave Pendergraft or, you know, later on, Danny Ferry and Wes Wilcox, 
um, all those guys given the opportunity to, you know, do many things in, in the organization. So um, during that time, I wasn't traveling. So if I wasn't traveling, um, I would go on the road and, and go scout. So any any school that was in driving distance, you know, I was going to scout. So I was I was down at Mercer, I was down at Georgia Southern, I was going to Clemson, I was going to Wofford, anything in the southeast that I could drive drive to. I was getting in my car and I was scouting and I was learning. Um, um, so not only was I doing stuff, I was doing stuff in the front office side. So uh, I was exposed to a lot of stuff, and that just helped with my development. And just from from there, uh, doing so many things, I was able to find my passion and find which avenue I really wanted to explore. Okay. Okay. So what was it like going to Denver, man? Like that that culture shock of you know, that's that's totally different, different time zone. You know, it's not the typical East Coast culture. So, like, what was it like? Now, did you pick up any hobbies like skiing or anything like that when you got out there? Yeah, it, um, coming out to Denver was cool. Um, like I mentioned earlier, you know, I'm, I'm a person that's that's active, you know, and I like to work out. And out in Denver, it's, you know, you know they got straight out here. Um, there's a lot of great hiking trails. People like to do a lot of things, you know, outdoors, especially when it's cold and in the mountains. Um, so that was that was good. in perfect. That's a um, shock in terms of like the culture. Yeah, it's a, it's a little different, um, but I, it's easy for me to adapt to. Um, I've lived in so many places throughout my life, uh, so it wasn't hard adapting to it out here. Um, and then with me, you know, basketball is my life. As long as I have the gym and as long as I have access to get in there, like be fine. Everything outside, you know, will work itself out. You know, being in this business, you know, you got to be able to adapt to all different environments, to all different cultures. And, you know, it, it, it wasn't hard at all. You know, when, when I made my move, everybody was talking about, you just go, I, I went by myself. Like, nobody with me. You got my own apartment. And guy asked me to move up. And I was like, yeah, you know, and I'm moving to Delaware, Pennsylvania. And you got like the, uh, the uh, Amish Mafia up here. You got the, uh, you got you got all these you know a lot of Amish stuff country like that. So I'm like it's it's a pretty cool place too. But yeah, I, I feel like you know when you mean go different places, you, you gotta learn to adapt because like you said in the business like you are in, you know, things can change at an instance. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I spent a year in Delaware. That's where the um, you know, the Philly G League team was. So I was in Wilmington. So okay, yeah. Delaware wasn't bad. It's not bad. It's not. It's not too bad. Not too bad. Cold. <laughs> definitely. <laughs> definitely. Definitely. Definitely cold. Definitely cold. All right. So if we, we want to get into like more like the, the, the coaching side and play development side. So is 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 head is head coach like your 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 final goal or do you want to be like, you know, general manager or or even something bigger than that? No, I think for me I, w- I wanna be a head coach, you know. I didn't I didn't know I, I wanted to do that some years ago, but just being around and you know, seeing how, you know, the head coach handles everything and seeing, you know, how they can put, you know, a, a team together, how they put an offense together, you know, what goes into, you know, building a starting lineup, what goes into building a sub chart. Like, you know, I like that. I like I like the whole strategy of, of, of everything. And, you know, that's something that I'm interested in. And hopefully that's something that happens for me you know, sometime in, in the future. Uh, this is a question I have. I hear like guys like Charles Barkley talk about it, and guys on like ESPN talk about it. How heavy are you into like analytics versus like just the the eyeball test, like seeing what a guy can really do? Like, how do you how do you balance that out? 
like in your in your opinion, as far as like coaching wise. Uh, I mean, it, it, both of them are just as important. Um, I don't think I go too heavy on the the, 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 the stats and the numbers side, um, but I, I definitely use it um, because you know if you're talking to a player, it's not enough to tell them, okay, well, you're struggling shooting at the rim, or you know this is a shot that maybe you should should not shoot anymore if you say that stuff you know it goes a lot further with that player if you have numbers to back it up um if you tell them you know the last 15 games you know on your floaters you know you're only shooting 30 percent maybe you should you know stay away from them and maybe work on some other shots maybe a pull-up jumper (laughs) basket or something like that so i think it goes hand in hand and then you know, a lot of times when you look at the numbers, you know, after you watch a game or you watch multiple games, the numbers just tell you what, what your eyes already see. Yeah. Um, so I think it, I think it's a combination of both. I don't think you can just look at the numbers, but, you know, I don't think you can just look at the game either. It has to be a little bit of both. Okay. As far as your head coaching job is, your head coaching job is like your, you know, your, your goal do you see a lot of like Mike Malone into your your coaching style, or, or do you do you pull a lot from like uh, way back when you was in Atlanta, uh, or when you with the we with the eighty uh, seven on the D League team? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I pull it from from everybody. Obviously, you know, being around Mike Mike Malone for as long as I've been around him, um, Mike is a you know he's a great coach. I mean, you know, the thing that you know I, I learned from him is just you know the detail. Um, work ethic, you know, he's second to none um, in terms of organization. So, yeah, I definitely am taking a lot from him uh, in terms of coaching, but I'm also taking a lot from all the coaches that I've been around in the past. Um, you know, I tell everybody all the time, you know, Kenny Atkinson, who was you know, recently with, with Brooklyn, I was with him in Atlanta um, in terms of player development. Uh, I've learned so much from him, just, you know, his, his passion, um, just the detail that, that he would go into each workout, knowing what you know each player needs to work on, not really wasting time on stuff that they don't need to do. Um, I learned a ton from him. Um, other guys I learned from uh, David Finsdale, um, obviously uh, Lester Connell, who, who I mentioned earlier, Mike Woodson, Larry Drew, uh, Nick Van Exel, David Finsdale. I mean, you know, I. Brett Brown. I mean, I've been around so many guys that, you know, I'm, I take a little bit, you know, from each of them. But at the end of the day, you know, you still got to be yourself. Right. I can't be, I can't be any of those guys. So, yeah, you know, I take stuff from them, but then you know, I also have to be me. Do you see yourself potentially having like a, a neat style? Like uh, Mike D'Antoni's always fast-paced or Phil Jackson did the triangle or – Mike Budenholzer, he's like the four-round one with Giannis. Do you see yourself having like a niche style, or are you kind of going to, you know, just kind of carve out what you have with your team in, in the future? I, I wish I could tell you I have a style, but, you know, I've never been the head coach on any level yet. So, um, honestly, I don't know what my style is going to be. I got you. Uh, so <laughs> I guess that's, uh, that's to be determined. Um, you know, and then a lot of it is, you know, you know who's the personnel that you have. Um you got to kind of, like, go with whatever the strength of your team is. Right? Be able to adjust on the fly, yeah. Yeah, if you have a team that, you know, you got strong, strong bigs, maybe, you know, you're going to have to slow it up and you're going to have to revolve around, you know, post-up. But if you have a, a strong point guard and you have shooters, then, yeah, maybe we can get out and we can run and, and play fast pace. But 
you know, I think a lot of that has to go with, you know, who you have on your team. And then again, as far as, you know, my style, I don't know. We'll see. Okay. <laughs> right, definitely. Um, so when, we, when it comes to player development, when you look at guys like you know, a player that maybe doesn't want to shoot, but but you like, I know you got it in you. Is, it, is that hard to pull out of people? Or, or it's like, okay, well, there may be a weakness. Let's let's focus on your strength. Like, what kind of what kind of balance is that? Um, I mean, for me, for, for player development, uh, especially on this level, my whole goal is to um, whatever that player does well, let's do that well to get you in, in the in the game. Because, you know, at the end of the day, all these guys want to play, and all these guys want to get paid. And the only way that's going to happen is. Is to play to your strength. So if you're not a strong shooter, that's fine. You know, we'll still work on your shooting and you know the, the shooting mechanics or, or whatever it may be that's wrong with your shot. Um, but we're also going to try to try to find ways that you can still be effective while you're on the floor. Um, there's a lot of things that you can do if you can't shoot. You know, you can be a great cutter. Um, you know, if teams are not guarding you out there, a lot of times they might turn their heads so you can be able to get you know, behind them and, and maybe get a, a layup or you know, maybe a, a small jump shot, a short jump shot around there. Or, you know, if um, you can't, can't shoot well, let's, you know, let's work on your driving skills. Let's work on your finishing at the basket. Um, let's work on you when you drive, you know, the defense strengths. Maybe, you know, you start kicking at the shooters or you start finding the big, better, better ground low. So, you know, we try to find other ways that you can be effective on the floor. Um, there's, there's a lot of stuff that can be done. And like, how do you approach a guy as far as like trying to let him know, like, hey, this is a weakness in your game, but this will help our team? Because all these guys have ego. Everybody's making, you know, 10, 15, 20 million dollars. So, how do you go about approaching that guy, saying, like, hey, this is how you can be more effective to help the team? I mean, it's it's tough. Um, you know, if, if guys want to play, if guys want to be successful in this league, you know. You got to be able to handle, um, you know, coaching, and you got to be able to handle some criticism. So a lot of times it's just, you know, you go and you talk to them, and just like you asked me the question earlier about the stats, you know, you show them the stats. And um, if they're not playing, you'd be like, okay, well, if you're not playing because, you know, you know, A, B, C, D, and you go by the reasons why, and then you show them it on film, and then you try to show them that you can really do well to help this team, and then that's how you get more playing from it. I think. Um, you know, you hear it all, all the time, you know, be a star in your role. Um, if your role is, is not to score, then when you get in the game, all right, just be the best defender. Or, you know, if you're a great rebounder, be a, be a great rebounder. If you're a great cutter, be a great cutter. Do what you do best. Um, you know, some people are, are you know, made to be actors or, or, or actors. <laughs> yeah, maybe they're strength to be a producer. Your producer, director, yep, just do your role the best you can. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, find out what you can do well and do that to the best of your ability. And to me, that's where you go, you know, a lot further than what you think. I mean, you see guys in the NBA, um, you know, a lot of times, everyone from North Carolina, everybody from Duke, everybody from Syracuse, they don't make the NBA. Um, and the reason why is sometimes, you know, they have that, that stature and they're coming from high school, they're, they're have been recruited, and once they get to the NBA, they think that they're still on that level. Let me do what I have to do to survive. Let me do what I have to do to, um, 
get into to make the team and get on the NBA floor. Before before we let you go, so me and Sean had this whole thing last year uh, during the FIBA about um, you know, Team USA versus uh, you know Serbia, and I was trying to tell him I was like, man, Jokic is gonna. You know he's he's going he's going right the floor with these guys, especially if it wasn't the you know, team A for Team USA. Um, do do you believe if we do get Olympics, if we do get Olympics at some point, even even if like let's say the the, the, the bronze of the world, the Kevin Durant doesn't play, do you believe Olympics is good enough to upset the Team USA? Uh, yeah, I mean absolutely. I mean if you look through the years, even when Team USA, I think you know they recently had. Uh, Kobe and LeBron and he made all, all those guys. I think they played Spain in the championship and it was a close game. Pretty close. <laughs> so yeah, like you know, the world has, has you know already caught up to us and you know if if we don't bring our best players and not only bring our best players, if we don't play to the best of our ability, yeah, we can definitely lose. No doubt about that. No doubt. Uh, that was fun. Go ahead, Kia. Nah, I was saying, you know, I'm a big, I'm team Serbia, you know what I'm saying? That's that's all I'm going to say. Jokic and my boy Bogdanovic. <laughs> having Jokic and then, um, you know, being in Denver, we have a heavy uh, um, European influence, you know, with, uh, with Jokic. And we've had, you know, a ton of players over from Europe and uh, various countries over there. And even in our front office, um, Torres, um, you know, he's interviewing, he's, he's our general manager, he's interviewing for our president job with the Bulls right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of our coaches is from Serbia, Arjen Stajakovic, and, and um, just being around those guys and, you know, seeing how, you know, you know, coaches from over there, the details that they, that, that they have and the passion that they have and the work ethic that they have, you see why, you know, a team like Serbia is so good and, and the players that they have all around them. NBA are, are succeeding right now. Um, I mean, those guys work. They're very intelligent. Um, and you can tell at a young age, like, you know, the drill work, and the skill work, and everything that they work on, you know, as they get older, they're, they're, their skill level is very, very, very high. Um, so I've learned a ton just from being around them. Yeah, do you think team chemistry is more important or having the most talent is most important? Because, you know, the international ball, those guys that are playing together since they were like 8, 9, 10 years old. But for the USA, we just take the best talent, hope they gel in two or three weeks and then go over to a different country and play ball. Do you think chemistry is more important or having the most talent is more important? Oh, that's a good question, man. I mean, because you got to have great chemistry to win, but if you don't have talent at the end of the day, you know, <laughs> You know, the thing, the thing with FIBA, uh, you know, in the Olympic basketball, all that, you know, it's a different game from the NBA. You know, in the NBA, you can't stand on the lane for, for three seconds, whereas, you know, in you know, FIBA basketball, you can play a, a, a true zone. Um, you can take, take the ball off the rim, you know, it's, it's locked. Uh, so it's a, it's a very different game, whereas, you know, over there, if you can't shoot, you know, you really get exposed. Because oh, yeah. Strength the floor, they can pack the paint, and you know, if you don't make shots, you know, it shows. Plus, the game is shorter, so um, the margin for error is, is, is a lot smaller. Whereas NBA is 48 minutes, and for them, it's 40. So, I mean, it's a it's a totally different game, too. So, you know, a lot of guys, you know, from Europe, they've been playing that style of basketball their whole lives. Whereas, you know, here in America, the only time we play that is 
for was it, a month, month and a half that they play during the summertime. So it's, it's an adjustment. The USA team, look how many guys, you know, have played USA basketball and who struggled during that time. I remember uh, Tim Duncan played. Tim Duncan, you know, arguably the greatest power forward of all time. He, he struggled during that season. Um, so it's just, it's a it's a different game where, you know, anything could happen, especially if a player or a team gets hot, she's the best of them. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I, got, I got one more question that I want to So I did this prediction, uh, what was I, was maybe two years ago, um, and I was like, well, I'm a Kentucky, Kentucky Wildcat fan, so, you know, Jamal Murray is one of my favorite players. Uh, I was like, this season coming up, this was 2000, this was last year, and I had that uh, great run last year. I was saying, this season, Jamal Murray and Gary Harris are going to be a top five backcourt duo. Now, I, ha- I had to take a step back because Gary Harris got hurt a little bit. Uh, can I be bold enough and say this again, uh, you know, with the development of, of those two players, or, or do y'all th- or sh- or should I wait, wait a while? Because I, I, know, I know when you get hurt, it's kind of like, you know, you're trying to get back to where you was, but then you kind of maybe start your decline a little bit. How do, I, how do like, players, like, like uh, can I be that bold again, or do I have to wait to see Gary Harris get back into his 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 rhythm because injuries does play a toll? Uh, I mean, if you look at Gary after the All-Star break, you look at his numbers, you know, he started to play more like himself. Um, you know, he's averaging 90s like John Stockton, like Gary Payton, or uh, Charles Oakley saying those guys couldn't play in this era, which is probably somewhat right. But um, like, how do you think people should judge the 90s compared to the guys today? Like, Do you think we should cross-compare eras, or do you think we should just stick to judging the guy within his era and not like, try to say, oh, in this era he would be this good or not an all-star, but in that era he would have been great? Do you think we should stop comparing eras and just look for guys – like just judge about what they did in their era, or should we should we cross compare eras like that? I mean, I, I mean, it's it's fun talk. I mean, you know, that's, that's the barbershop kind of conversation. <laughs> um, but no, I mean, you can you can cross match eras. I mean, that's just that's just sports. You're gonna you're gonna always talk about it. Um, to say that those guys couldn't play in this era, 
no, I wouldn't say that. Like, the game is different right now. If those guys played in this era, then they would adjust their game to be in this era. Um, you know, back then in the in the '90s and the '80s, it was a lot more physical game. Um, you know, the rules were different in terms of uh, uh, the defensive rules. Uh, there wasn't an emphasis on three-point shot like it is now. So um, I think I think like they can play and play in this era. Do I think guys right now could play in the era that you know, was in the '80s and '90s? Yeah, sure. I think I think they can play in that era as well. It's just all about adjusting. Um, you know, just like you, you got to change with the time. Uh, I was just talking to, I think, I think my brother about, you know, just the world in, in, in general. And, you know, a lot of times, you know, people, you know, lose jobs or they get phased out because they don't, you know, adjust with Change time. with the times. <laughs> and, you know, and I think, you know, if, if, if Jordan played during this era, you know, you know I, I, w- I would think he would shoot a lot more threes because that's what, you know, they want now. So, you know, right. you know but he would also be, you know, even a better scorer because you know, the defense is, you know, you can't touch guys, you can't put a hand on them. And, you know, you go back and look at old highlights and you see how physical it was, especially, you know, during those years when he was playing the Detroit Pistons. Uh, and you just think about now, if you play and, you know, there's no hand checking and the way that the court is spaced out in terms of, like, the spacing guys on the three-point line, like, man. I think, I, think, I think Jordan would be even more, more effective than this one. Right. So I, I guess they're saying in a couple of weeks you're going to be front and center for that uh, that Jordan documentary. Oh, absolutely. I'm, I'm, I've been excited about that. I mean, they, the first time they signed a preview was, what, like a year and a half ago? Like, yeah. I didn't even know if I was hyped. And then when I saw them, they said coming in the following year, I'm like, I wait a whole year for this thing to come on. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, April 19th, I will, I will be in front of my TV uh, watching that documentary. All right, definitely, me too. <laughs> all right, hey, that's all the time we got. I appreciate you joining us, bro. Anytime. I, I had fun. I, I, I definitely enjoyed it. All right, and thanks, JB, for joining us, man. I know we had some technical difficulties in there, but, hey, when you when you, when you quarantine, locked in your room, all you got is all you got. Yeah, it was – you know, things happen, but it was still a great heart hit interview, great insight by him. Um, we had some good questions. I thought he answered phenomenally. So, uh, once again, big shout out to JB, man. We really appreciate him taking that time to, to come on and do that with us, man. And hopefully in the future we can do it again. And, of course, we won't have our, our technical issues. But even even with those, uh, very hard hit interviewing. Hope to uh, speak with him again. I know I got some more questions about the Jordan dot when they come out. Oh yeah, definitely. Hey, hey, JB, uh, me and Rashad, we will come to Denver. So uh, you know, we we gonna we gonna need we gonna need some backstage patches so I can see my boy Jokic. All right, appreciate appreciate with Rashad. We out. While the family's together for the holidays, why not plan your next summer vacation? Right now, Ocean Isle Beach has lots of places to choose from. So book your Ocean Isle Beach getaway today at OceanIsleStyle.com. 
Donato's just didn't add bacon to their pizzas. They added bacon to their bacon. It's Donato's new Bacon Duo pizzas. Two pizzas, each with two kinds of bacon. Try the new Pepperoni Bacon Duo with pepperoni, Canadian bacon, and hardwood smoked bacon. And the Chipotle Bacon Duo with Canadian bacon and Chipotle seasoned bacon. Now get $2 off a large Bacon Duo or any large pizza. Use promo code 2. Donato's. Every piece is important.